0: I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind, and this is a special audio podcast exclusive edition of the program. I'm delighted to welcome Aaron Belkin, who is the director of a movement to take back the court. Uh, He directs the project that is lobbying for a more equitable uh, and representative Supreme Court. Uh, Welcome, Aaron. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Aaron, uh, we had a conversation uh, maybe a half year ago about your work uh, with Take Back the Court. And I really want to focus on November 4th, which is the day, presumably, if our election officers, um, our poll officers um, handle the situation uh, under these pretty dire circumstances that there is a vote and it's – one that has integrity, and we can respect the outcome. That on November fourth, um, a new president uh, may be sworn in, uh, and that may be uh, the presumptive Democratic nominee today, or or another Democrat. But presumably, that would be Vice President Biden if Donald Trump is not reelected. And and I, from that day forward, understanding everything that's transpired in the last 4 years which have not represented the will of the majority of this country that voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016 what are you going to do to try to rectify that great great imbalance that everything that's transpired with respect to court appointments particularly the two supreme court appointments but other federal appointments as well all that that's transpired what are you going to do to rect what would the next president do if Donald Trump is not re-elected, to rectify that.
1: Yeah, so the key point to underscore is that the Democrats may win the 2020 election, uh, could sweep back to power with uh, majorities in both houses and control the White House, but even in that case, the uh, the Democrats effectively will not be allowed to govern. And that means that the next administration and the next Congress will not be able to dig America out of the hole that we have dug ourselves into. And the reason for that is because lower court judges who Trump has put in place, um, will almost certainly enjoin uh, almost any significant uh, executive action, executive order um, or statute, um, tying it up uh, in the courts for years. Uh, And the Supreme Court has demonstrated clearly over the past generation, that it is a partisan court. Um, it is not concerned about judicial doctrine. It's concerned about the party of the Republican po- uh, Party, uh, concerned about the power of the Republican Party. And we can, we can talk about the data that, that uh, shows that, but, but that the Supreme Court will, will strike down uh, or sharply curtail uh, uh, laws and, uh, and regulations. And what that means is that uh, the next White House will be in handcuffs um, from day one. So how do you unshackle the, the new president from those handcuffs? Well, the only way to move forward, the only, the only chance we have of uh, enacting climate change legislation and getting it to stick, of unrigging the democracy by banning voter suppression and uh, overturning Citizens United, uh, all the things we need to do to get out of the hole, the only way to make those things possible is to take the Supreme Court back. Uh, and take back lower federal courts. And what that means is uh, expanding the size of the Supreme Court, adding new justices, um, and also adding judges to district and federal courts.
0: Aaron, I think that one of the most important things, and and you kind of frame it in your construction of take back the court, is you want to um, message this in a way that reflects that this is the will of the people. So packing the court implies some kind of Machiavellian or malicious scheme that is counter to democratic norms or values. When in fact, of course, you've had no deliberations over judges who've been appointed over these past four years. They've been railroaded through McConnell's process. Um, And and, and what what I would just encourage you to do is to think about this as a democratic enhancement. I mean, not expansion of the court or packing the court, but this is preserving and enhancing democracy because for every Supreme Court justice or for every appellate court judge who's been appointed, that was a minority of the country and maybe a minority of the minority because Donald Trump in getting the Republican nomination adhered to the Federalist Society, Vice President Pence, arguably the most right-wing person in government in American history. And and so just from a messaging point of view, uh, taking back the court means what? And, and how are you going to make the argument in a way that is not derided and, and dismissed as some kind of insatiable, power-hungry move that is out of step with our, our democratic values or norms.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it is certainly the case that uh, the majority of justices on the courts um, have been put there um, uh, by presidents um, who did not win the popular vote. Um, the Republicans have lost six of the last, uh, the popular vote in six of the last seven um, presidential elections, but that's, that's really not what this is about. Um, What this is about is the coming together of three factors that have never before come together in the history of the U.S. Um, First, um, with respect to what you're saying about democracy, the court itself has been implicated in the sabotaging of democracy uh, by dismantling the Voting Rights Act, uh, by this week's decision in the Wisconsin case, um, by destroying campaign finance law, by allowing hyperpartisan gerrymandering. So, so, so Thomas Keck, a uh, brilliant political scientist, uh, distinguishes between reforms that enhance democracy and reforms that undermine democracy. Um, uh, expanding the Supreme Court and lower federal courts is necessary to unrig the democracy, to restore democracy, because the Supreme Court itself um, has been central to the sabotaging of democracy. But it's even more than that. It's, it's the coming together of that with two other factors. Um, second of all, um, that the Supreme Court was stolen in 2016, and that's never before happened in modern American history. And, and I know as a political science professor that, that democracies simply cannot function when courts are stolen. Um, and then third, um, you have a court that very clearly will not let uh, uh, the next administration or Congress address planetary emergencies, uh, in particular climate change. Um, And so when you have those three factors coming together, that means you have to do something uh, and you have to do it quickly. Um, uh, And that's why the uh, next administration and Congress uh, need to uh, uh, take back the court. And Aaron, what is the playbook for doing that? It's been argued
0: that the filibuster has to go. uh, But what strategically does a Vice President Biden, President-elect Biden, how does he
1: begin that process? There are three things that need to happen uh, in order to unrig the democracy and enable the next administration to face the crises um, that are plaguing us. Um, And they're pretty straightforward. They're not complicated. Um, First of all, um, Senate rules need to be modified so that small groups of senators and even single senators can't Uh, gum up the chamber's uh, work. Um, That means getting rid of the filibuster, uh, unanimous consent, uh, blue slips, and a range of obscure parliamentary procedures. Otherwise, you're never going to get legislation through the Senate. Uh, Second of all, uh, the Congress and administration need to pass a statute um, that adds seats to the Supreme Court and also to lower federal courts. And then third of all, and this really is, you know, Underscoring that that court reform is not really about the courts, um, uh, it's about unrigging the democracy um, uh, uh, in a in a sustainable way. But the third step that needs to be done is passing an aggressive version of HR one. Uh, the, the the Brennan Center says that if you if you uh, pass a, an aggressive version of HR one, you'd add forty or fifty million voters to the rolls um, and unrig the democracy. Now the problem is if you do that without uh, expanding the court, um, then John Roberts is simply going to strike down uh, the the new HR1. Um, so that's why you have to do all three things together.
0: Do you believe that Vice President Biden as a president President Biden is capable and willing to do the things
1: you're advocating? Well, um, about a dozen of the um, contenders in the Democratic primary, um, including some of the leading contenders, Pete Buttigieg, and Elizabeth Warren um, said that they were open to expanding the Supreme Court. Um, and some of the folks who were not leading the pack, like uh, Andrew Yang and um, Tom Steyer, even said clearly that, that the court should be expanded, not just that they were open to it. Um, Bernie Sanders and Vice President Biden um, have stated that they are uh, against expanding the court, um, but we don't know what the politics uh, of judicial reform are gonna look like um, uh, a year from now, I mean, you can imagine um, uh, uh, more justices leaving the court. That would change the politics of the court. Um, uh, you can imagine the court uh, handing down terrible rulings this summer um, uh, involving reproductive justice, DACA, uh, gun safety, LGBT rights. Um, you can imagine various campaign dynamics that would elevate the conversation about the court. So so, so the question really isn't whether Biden the person um, has come out for or against um, court expansion. The question is, um, is there a public understanding um, that democracy cannot be unrigged unless the court is expanded? Um, that's that's the real question.
0: Right, well, again, I, I do encourage you, just as an outsider, and take it for what it's worth, to, to see how taking back the court I like what you're saying about unrigging the democracy. I and mean, that language certainly resonates because the democracy has been, um, unrepresentative of the people. Um, but the expansion and packing, I know that Pete and Beto and a few other people have morphed into that language of expanding. Uh, there are also proposals about retirement ages and, you know, a, a more rolling rotating, uh, swing of of justices who come in but in in just a practical matter if the united states congress were to enact any reform related to the to the supreme court um if you know what would that be subject to potentially the supreme court's own review to decide on the constitutionality of in other words if if uh the president the new president and the congress decided to increase the representation of the court uh would is there is there any environment in which that the current nine person court would be would decide or deem it in its power to rule on whether
1: that expansion is constitutional well that's that's Uh, one of the reasons why court expansion is the best judicial reform option of the many options on the table now, Um, it's clearly constitutional. Um, Now, that in and of itself would not uh, prevent Roberts from striking it down uh, because he doesn't need a reason to strike down things he doesn't like, um, which he um, clearly uh, demonstrated in in this week's Wisconsin ruling. And you can certainly marshal bogus arguments against the constitutionality of Judicial of court expansion, but but it is clearly constitutional. But even more importantly, um, unlike term limits or judicial rotation or Pete Buttigieg's five 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 plan um, formulated by um, Ganesh Sitaraman uh, and a co-author, um, the thing about judicial reform uh, about uh, court expansion is that you can do it uh, almost exactly simultaneously um, with the appointment of new justices uh, if you. Uh, uh, if you coordinate uh, closely. And what that means is that the current conservative majority would not have the chance to review the constitutionality of the court expansion bill. Whereas if you think about a term limit bill, there would be uh, uh, necessarily a a, a pretty large um, time lag between the enactment of the statute authorizing term limits and the point at which term limits would hopefully, ostensibly have a moderating effect on the court and during that window, what would happen? Well, John Roberts uh, and Kavanaugh, um, and uh, the other partisan justices, um, would strike that reform down. So, 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 court expansion is the reform that has the most chance of making it through judicial review.
0: I see what you're saying. So, in effect, the Congress legislates, the President signs, and then they must adopt this new. Uh, procedure, whatever it is.
1: No, uh, no, it's that it's that the minute that they the, the minute that the bill is signed also has to be the minute that the president uh, uh, confirms. Uh, that's that, what I mean. That's what I mean. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, I mean, that's not to say that we haven't seen in this country brazen refusal to accept laws as they've been uh, recorded and uh, and signed, you know, so I- I'm a little bit more skeptical knowing that the court binds itself to an institution that is uh, it is the law of the land. And they, and I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not necessarily thinking that they would um, you know, that they would, that they would not fight, you know, that they would not fight it even if it was legislated, signed by the president and supposed to go into effect immediately. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying that there's, a hundred percent chance that uh court expansion bill would uh, survive judicial review. What I am saying is that it has the most chance by far of any of the judicial reform options.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. The reason that I asked you about Vice President Biden is because you're right, he's one of two dozen candidates uh, at the peak of the field that uh, you know refused to, to, to say that this was necessary. And, and you're basically saying, you know, based on how bad it may get, it's it's about the means and the ends. You know, the means of the way we got the Supreme Court was undemocratic, anti-democratic uh, by any definition of, you know, judicial appointments not reflecting the will of the people, um, and uh, and then the ends are are potentially disastrous decisions for human life and dignity and uh, well-being, and you know that I'm I'm just wondering if if Biden were to win and those decisions did not come down this summer in a way that even more compels him to see your vision as one that's necessary, you know, what, what um, he would find out as you're suggesting that, that, you know, it would be incredibly difficult, if not impossible to legislate anything that he's campaigned on and, and for the current court to view it, Uh, as constitutional so if he if he didn't adopt uh take back the court's philosophy it would it would end up just being a self-defeating thing you know you because there'd be legislation he's trying to get
1: passed and they would rule it unconstitutional yeah and i mean you know look at look at the arc of the conversation over the last 18 months i mean when 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 my group started um telling our story um and urging court expansion 18 months ago the idea had been taboo for 81 years. I mean, it was it was just seen as a you know way way outside the box and and not at all appropriate for um, discussion um, among uh, party leaders. But by this point, fast forwarding to today, um, Eric Holder uh, has endorsed court expansion. Uh, Jamel Bowie has endorsed it. Uh, EJ Dionne has endorsed it. Uh, moderate senators like Dick Durbin are using the word restructuring when they're talking about. The court, and just this week, um, an incredibly powerful uh, group of organizations, including uh, Next Gen America, which is going to spend a hundred million dollars on the election. Uh, 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 Sunrise, which is the architect of the Green New Deal, the Parkland kids who work on gun safety. So these organizations all endorsed court expansion. Uh, Dan Pfeiffer, um, President Obama's brilliant former senior strategist, um, uh, uh, recently endorsed court expansion. So, 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 so there is a growing chorus of thought leaders and party leaders who understand that there is no way to restore democracy, unless you expand the court, and that that realization is just going to grow over time.
0: Sure. And final final thought and and question for you, Aaron. Um, you know, one of the brilliant things about the Republican operatives and the nomenclature and language they've they've adopted is uh, to 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 say the opposite of what they're doing in some ways. So Citizens United is about corporations united. It's about the influence of um you know the the oligarchic class to to exert its will and and to you know minimize the influence of anyone else um so uh, again i just wondered if you've commissioned any any data polling surveys um understanding what you're describing of a court packing quote unquote as um something that has been um presented in the historical literature um, uh, as authoritarian. Um, what have you found anecdotally and um, statistically from any polls or, or, or um, survey data? You know, it's, it, There is a, a movement called End Citizens United. It's a, a nonprofit uh, political advocacy group um, and I said to Tiffany Muller, the director, I said, you know, you're, you're accepting the, the phraseology, uh, you know, the framing of their case by, say, by calling your organization End Citizens United. Well, you know, so there are going to be people who ask, well, why do we want to end citizens who are united? That sounds like a good thing. So my, my last question to you is, what is the most effective way of framing and defining what you're trying to achieve?
1: Yeah, um, so uh, really, you know, well, as all your questions, really brilliant question, a couple of pieces in there that um, I would address. And the first thing I would say is that um, the polling already shows clearly that a majority of Democrats and a plurality of independents already support court expansion. So so even though um, the Democratic Party as a party has not made the case to voters, um, uh, the public gets it. Um, uh, so that's that's the first thing to note. The second thing to note is that I'm less concerned about framing. I mean, you know, when you do political communications, uh, y- you always need to be mindful of how the message is being taken up. Um, and but... Um, let's just be honest about what's going on. The court has been stolen, the court has undermined democracy, and the court won't let the next administration ad- address planetary emergencies. Like, that's what you need to say. That's why the court needs to be expanded. So, we have not done, uh, you know, dial tests and focus groups to figure out if that's the best messaging. It's just we tell the story because that is the story. Um, I guess a third and final point, and you know, you mentioned GOP framing and GOP not telling the truth, and you know, if you're uh, up for it, I'd much, you know, very much like to have a longer conversation about that because I have a, you know, a, 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 an interpretation of why the the GOP is, I would argue, structurally committed to lying, which means they can't they can't do anything but lie, um, and, and would love to talk with you about why that's the case. But but just uh, more briefly. Um, the Republicans are going to scream about the Democrats and the courts regardless what Democrats do. I mean, if Democrats do nothing, the Republicans will scream about liberal activist judges um, and they will make it seem as if the Democrats are engaged in uh, you know, a naked partisan power grab uh, even when there's no activity to complain about. I mean, you know, uh, in, um, in 2016, it wasn't just the case that McConnell... Uh, stole the court, um, but you got to keep in mind that even so-called moderate Republicans, like the late Senator John McCain and um, and, and Senator Richard Burr, they said quite clearly um, that if Hillary Clinton won the election, uh, they would uh, hold that seat open for four years um, so that a Republican could fill that seat. So, so and you know the Republicans have been playing dirty tricks um, around lower courts um, for years. While at the same time they scream about um, the Democrats and the right. Court. Well, that's true, and also, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I go 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 ahead. Yeah.
0: No, ahead. I just want to thank you, you for joining me, and let let's do have that longer conversation. I'm cognizant of the fact that Brenda Wineapple, the historian who I've interviewed before, uh, talks about how the radical re- Republicans, uh, who I call the righteous Republicans, if we go back some time in American history, were. Um, were also marginalized and criminalized in a way. Now they're heroes to a lot of uh, the, the sort of more morally uh, um, inclined uh, citizens of this country and, and historians. But historically, we have to reconcile with the fact that decade after decade, even very progressive, you know, academic scholarship was... Uh, deeming court packing nefarious and wrong. And um, there might be a debate about whether in that time it, it was wrong, but we have to deal with that whole history now. And uh, and so even though the public surveys say something else, that is what a lot of young people have learned for decades in, in the way that it's been taught in, in classrooms. Um, and I don't know if you, you would you 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 second that, but um, that that's been sort of yeah. my kind of understanding of uh, the treatment of, of FDR and, and the court packing.
1: I mean, uh, sorry, R-R- Roosevelt saved the New Deal, arguably, by expanding the court. So we we don't think that was a failure. I mean, there's a longer conversation to be had about. No, I know, that. I know. I'm I'm yeah.
0: talking about how I, you know, I remember it being taught, and how I think a lot of people remember it being taught. And, and the fact that even some Roosevelt lovers, you know, look at that as a major misstep of his and in, in a way that is, uh, it is evidenced in the, the, the long refusal to acknowledge this was necessary. But anyway, I'll leave it there, Aaron. I really appreciate your time today. Please stay well. Thank you. and also hoping you stay safe.